0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is, Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.
1: Sometimes our commander in chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman and now the 21st century i'm an extremely stable genius you're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck here are royal oaks and connor oaks this is too many lawyers this is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Sad week, Connor. The Dodgers exited the uh, Major League Great Baseball season. playoffs. Great season. Great season. Can't make the World Series every time. Great season. Well, now, now you're just being a Pollyanna. You know, you're a real glasses-half-full person. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, the Dodgers went uh, from 1988 to 2020. So that was a long, dry spell, 32 mm-hmm. years. And so for them not to repeat, and I think it hasn't been done for something like 20 years. So yeah, wait till next year. That's the familiar refrain. Mm-hmm. So welcome to Too Many Lawyers. Thank you so much as always for listening. Uh, We want to talk about uh, some big stories of this week. Uh, The Texas abortion law refuses to go away. It's now going to be uh, in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. There's going to be a hearing on November 1. We're going to Talk about that. Talk about whether uh, Steve Bannon, uh, Trump's former uh, Wonderkind uh, campaign manager, I think people kind of give Bannon credit for Trump having won. He sort of came in after the uh, Inside uh, or Access Hollywood uh, take. Yes, uh, Trump's d- Dick disaster. Cheney, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Only without the face full of buckshot. Right. Uh, So is he going to jail for contempt of Congress? So we'll discuss that. We're also going to talk about whether bystanders who see crimes can possibly face criminal liability for not helping, for not getting involved. Going to get uh, take a look at all those uh, topics as well. We're going to play America's favorite uh, game, Guess the Verdict. Love it. And just to give you a little tease, Connor. When I pose the question at the end of the show, uh, it has to do with whether being awake is a job requirement. Hmm. Do you have to stay awake to keep your job? That hmm. will be the subject matter of the uh, Guess the Verdict uh, show. So. Let's get back uh, to a couple of couple of human interest items, just advancing the story about whether there's such a thing as Obama judges or or Bush judges. We've talked about this a few times that, you know, Donald Trump uh, complained about some judge being an Obama judge. biased, And Chief Justice John Roberts of the California, the U.S. Supreme Court fired back and said, oh, there's no such thing as an Obama judge or a Bush judge. We just have hardworking. Yes. John Roberts thinks we're stupid. Yeah. So uh, interesting case in the news recently, Uh, the Ninth Circuit uh, issued a ruling in a a private prison company case. I used to represent uh, this company, GEO. It's the largest private prison entity in the world, and it uh, maintains detention facilities for a lot of immigration uh, situations where ICE needs uh, uh, basically a private prison to detain people. And so what happened is that uh, California uh, tried to ban private prisons maintained in California, in other words, tried to stop ICE, a federal agency, from contracting with a private prison, namely GEO. um, California uh, tried to do this, but uh, the Ninth Circuit said, no, it's kind of a federal thing, not a state thing. And so by a two-to-one vote, the Ninth Circuit uh, voted in favor of GEO, the private prison company, and against Governor Newsom. And... I just thought maybe
0: you'd like to know, you'd be curious, Connor, as
1: to who appointed the the three judges
0: who voted the way they did. Yeah, in favor of ICE and private prisons and mass detention.
1: Exactly right. Right. So the the two judges who voted for ICE and the private prison company uh, were appointed by Trump and Bush. Shocker. And the one judge who voted against uh, the private prison company and ICE... Oh, let me check here. Uh, oh, yeah, Obama. How President funny. Obama. Interesting. Yeah. So hmm. um, I, I'm not sure if there's still a time for them to go for the en banc vote, uh, where if you lose uh, in front of a three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit, you have a right to go to the full Ninth Circuit and say, hey, your honors, this is so important. We would like uh, 11 of you 20-something uh, Ninth Circuit judges to, right. to serve on a super panel, kind of yeah. like a super spreader of justice. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> Somewhat like that, So yes. if that happens, um, the majority of the 20-something judges on the Ninth Circuit are appointed by Democrat presidents. Right. So it'll be interesting, don't you think, if they go the on banc route, and if we have uh, 11 judges uh, to look at their votes and look at who yeah, appointed them? it would be interesting. Wouldn't it be funny if every single yeah. vote corresponded to either Democrat or Republican?
0: Yeah. I'll say this. I am of the opinion that the private prisons are evil argument is a bit of a red herring. I don't think it really matters whether the private the prison is private or public. And if anything, it might be worse when they're public. I think that, yeah, the idea of running prisons as a profit machine creates bad incentives. But if you look overall at the number of private prisons and private prison running companies in the world, they're not that big a percentage of our mass incarceration situation. So it's really hard for me to sort of stomach the liberal argument that like, oh, if we just could solve private prisons, then we could go back to jailing everybody in public prisons like they're supposed to be. It's like, that's not the issue. Like, okay, like, bringing a little capitalism into your system I'm not averse to it. My former it, client would be so happy to hear this. Right, right. The issue is the mass incarceration. The issue is the criminal legal system that sends them an, an incredible record world uh, human history record setting higher than North Korea record setting number of American citizens and non-citizens to... Uh, Permanent or semi-permanent incarceration or incredibly long incar- oh, if incarceration. Our leader that's had the, the assets; he would beat our record. That I'm he sure. probably would, and that's kind of the problem. How are we using our assets, right? But yeah, to me, the whole private private prison debate a bit of a red herring. The real underlying problem is just the prisons. That's the one we got to solve. So before we get to our uh, first uh, big topic about uh, the abortion
1: law from Texas, um, rumors. Uh, where did it come from? Oh, I thought you meant Fleetwood
0: Mac's amazing, no. stellar, incredible world-beater album, greatest N- album of all time.
1: Not the album. I, there was nothing obscene about that album cover, I hope. Unlike, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, Oh no, it Ono's Nirvana. Sure. So how does a QAnon uh, rumor mm-hmm. start about the pizza parlor and the pedophiles? Right. And the, Somebody which, which makes a bad lying? joke and
0: people take it seriously, I guess? I guess. Who I knows?
1: Know. But I, I was actually just reading an article about the Kennedy assassination and, and Jack Ruby and Lee Harvey right. and Oswald and kind of stumbled across an article from November 1963. Mm-hmm. The month uh, John Kennedy was assassinated, mm. and it has to do with the history of a rumor. A CBS, uh, the network, did a, a report called "Case History of a Rumor," and it studied uh, a, a a rumor that barefoot Africans were being trained in Georgia to take over the United States government to assist a world organization. What? And this spread throughout mainly the South in the United States. It was what? a real rumor. Yes, we thought some
0: Africans were going. This didn't make it into my history books. No. What the so, heck?
1: So CBS reports introduced uh, assorted individuals who passed along the rumor either by word of mouth in print or over the air. And finally, the origin of the report was traced to the office of Representative James Utt, who was a congressman in California, who acknowledged that a newsletter from his office had been the roots of the unfounded rumor. So Incredible. yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of you know urban legends. And in Unless they're completely dismissed, and
0: you know, for some reason nobody believes them, this is this is how it works. Yeah, it branches into like that. That argument branches into like w- once we start learning about where rumors and conspiracy theories and misinformation and disinformation come from, we start to think not only just about where they come from originally, the germ, the seed, but also how they are fostered and grow and passed around. And if they're passed around in person, in bars, or, you know, in, you know, whatever, interpersonal conversation in people's homes, that's one thing. And we kind of understand human history has a long track record of how misinformation and disinformation can be used, weaponized, spread among a population, and how major sources of information, accurate information can be sort of flexed to put a stop to it and try to inform people and, and make, have an informed populace so they can make real informed political decisions and not be crazy. But what if it all happens on the internet? What if it all happens in a closed Facebook group yeah that and you that, have to prove you've taken that ivermectin brings, to get into or should, something.
1: That brings the story about the 1963 crazy, you know, African taking over America rumor and the QAnon, yeah. you know, pizza parlor kidnap kids rumor to to the, the present day, the present week. Apparently, they're talking about, you know, breaking up Facebook. Zuckerberg right. is talking about renaming it, giving it some weirdo metaverse name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's real smart. You yeah. Know, half of the 6 billion people on the planet know and use or and pay, somehow pay yeah. for yeah. Facebook. So let's change the name. So I guess he just wants to try to get out of trouble. But bottom line is... They say at Facebook, we try to stop misinformation, disinformation. The problem is, A, they haven't done a real good job of it. For example, they're accused of actually... Uh, foisting extremist views on people who expressed an interest in somewhat extremist views in order to keep them clicking and keep them coming back. Yeah. More hours on the platform. Yeah. And secondly, can you really trust an entity with a, a, a severe bias in one direction or the other to objectively and fairly clean up the internet and get rid of disinformation? I mean, I don't know what the solution is. It would be wonderful if we had an unlimited uh, number of totally brilliant, totally objective people scrolling through and, you know, erasing stuff. But we don't. No, we don't. I mean, the federal government... You know, certainly isn't gonna step in and do it. And if they did, I mean it would be biased based on whoever happens to be running the federal government at the time. I mean Trump for a while had the White House, the House and the Senate. Yeah. Would we trust those people to to scrub the Internet?
0: No. And, we don't. and in the should same way we, China and do we wanna it.
1: trust AOC and Nancy
0: and Biden to scrub it now? I don't think right, so. China's got the great firewall. We've seen what happens when you censor the internet. The problem is is finding what that correct solution is. I've think a lot of smart people out there think that uh, there are certain structures that you can build the internet on that make it sort of more open to sunlight. And sunlight being a good disinfectant means that privacy and private groups where people, you know, trade conspiracy theories and disinformation that spreads like wildfire, if the structure of your internet community disincentivizes those and says there's not much, you know, it, it makes it hard for groups to recruit and keep a captive audience who they then feed only their viewpoint, then the the structure is more conducive to major, more trustworthy sites, reseducing people back to the side of reason. So if you've got. You know, the Associated Press and, you know, Al Jazeera and CNN and whatever major news organizations and the government, the CDC, the FDA, the rest. These are reputable organizations that can pull people back from the brink of, of extremism and disinformation, arguably, if you make the platforms for those sort of democratically, the stronger the, the platform and the more people ascribe to it, the more popular it should be. Then your structure might be better. If instead you say the the, the more fringe your your group, the more uh, you can control uh, the the people who are you've trapped in your group and sell them on uh, horse paste, uh, crystal healing energy, uh, your dietary <laughs> supplements. Whatever you want to, uh, to to trap them with and sell them on, or just crazy extremist ideas too, and make money off on that way. There are lots of ways to do it, but if you create a a, a pot a, a structure that incentivizes individuals to capture these little cults of people uh, and control them, then you create the danger of our society being dominated by a bunch of cults, and that's really frightening. Yep. An interesting
1: item just happened to be on the same page as that story from 1963 about CBS reports and the history of a rumor. And it's a comment about television I want to share with you. And when you think about it, it kind of is eerily reminiscent of the issue today about a, an avalanche, a tsunami of you know, worthless interma- inter- information information mm-hmm. on the Internet. So here's, here's the story from 1963 New York Times. The headline is TV public is advised to turn off bad shows. Hmm. Interesting. Is it from the onion? Yeah. Or, or is it just some sort of a joke? No, it's Roger Ebert cracking down. <laughs> so here, here's the here's the story. The public is guilty of bad TV manners when it neither watches a TV set nor turns it off. According to John White, president of National Educational Television, he's giving a keynote address to some group. He said TV sets constantly blared out to, uh, to heedless air while people went on talking, telephoning, or removing or moving from one room to another. A good TV program providing enlightenment and enrichment should receive a viewer's close attention, Mr. White said, while the unrewarding presentation should be turned off. Interesting. So in 1963 they're talking about all this crap flying through the ether. Right. And we're still talking about it now. Prescient.
0: Or this guy was just angry that his kids wouldn't turn off the TV when they left the room. One I or ge- the other. I guess, but I
1: think the problem's even more serious now because whereas there was, you know, probably one TV yeah. at most in everybody's homes then, plus a couple of array Videos. Yeah. Now. You're just inundated with You're inundated. If your personal screen, every room you go into yeah. has uh, has a screen. So the more things change, the more things stay the same. Yeah. Hey, when we come back, we will talk about how the Texas abortion law will not go away. But first,
0: Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Yes. Yeah, so check us out on whatever podcast platform you'll like to use. That's probably numerically Apple Podcasts, but it could be Spotify, Stitcher, or any other uh, platform that you use to get your pods and make sure that not only are you checking us out periodically and downloading us and leaving us a review and five stars and a little comment saying how great we are et cetera, et etc but you also click that join or subscribe uh, or sign up button so that we get pushed to your inbox pushed to your phone and you hear us every week without you having to remember uh, and that also helps uh, us out a lot in that it boosts our ego. It's not like we make a bunch of money, but we love seeing that people actually listen. We appreciate it. (laughs) We'll be right back.
1: This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Conroe. So the Texas abortion law just won't go away. Man. Uh-huh. These folks, really. Apparently, it took them a few years to dream up this idiotic notion yeah. that we're going to say. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You can't touch me, Supreme Court.
1: Yeah. We're going to say that abortion is bad. And so that anybody who's involved in an abortion, not the woman who's getting it, but the Uber driver and the doctor and so on, they are subject to a civil suit. The governor is not, the governor is not going to be enforcing this law. It's just that a
0: cause of action exists and Random individuals can file tons of lawsuits and collect a monetary bounty for punishing doctors and Uber drivers and everyone else who helps this person, uh, facilitates this person getting an abortion. In this way, the law is explicitly and specifically crafted to say the Supreme Court can't review me. And so now the Supreme Court has multiple times been faced with the idea of do you let this stand? Do you let somebody go out there and cleverly craft a law that says the Supreme Court can't touch this? What if you cleverly craft a law that says Congress can't? this or the president can't overrule this. And some state legislature out there just writes those words in and says, because of the structure that we have created here, we found a loophole in your little jurisdictional rules, Supreme Court, Congress, president, whoever else. And yeah, yeah, you can't touch me. I'm like a sovereign citizen. I don't recognize the, 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 you know, the influence or the power of the federal government to mess with Texas. So get out. Does that work? So what no. this does is weaponize lawsuits. Yeah.
1: What it also does is create a situation where you could uh, attack it, object to it, try to get a court to stop it in various ways. One way would be to wait until some nutball files a lawsuit about and a lawsuit, couple of yeah. nutballs have mm-hmm. a guy who was in prison, I think, in Arkansas right. sued some he's got the abortion time. doctor. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's got time on his hands. So you he files the suit. You say in response to the suit, excuse me. Um, what part of Roe versus Wade do people not understand this law is unconstitutional? Right. Just as a law that says a person can sue somebody if he speaks his mind at an open forum in a park. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you'd say, uh, hello, First Amendment. Right. Knock the law out. Knock the lawsuit out. Now, that would be one way to attack it. But instead, an abortion provider sued the state of Texas stating that this law should be tossed out the governor should not be allowed to enforce but as you pointed out that was ran into the problem that the law does not provide for the governor to enforce the law And so back in September, the U.S. Supreme Court said, we're not putting this law on the shelf pending the suit by the abortion providers because there's no legal basis for an injunction without saying anything about Roe versus Wade. And now in the last couple of weeks, the Biden Department of Justice has filed a second suit, essentially saying the same thing as the abortion providers said in their suit. They're saying this law really sucks and it should be struck down. And the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear both suits, the DOJ suit and the providers suit at an oral argument on November one, but the issue, folks, if you're concerned about Roe versus Wade, is not going to be whether Roe versus Wade is violated by this statute. The issue is whether a state, uh, such as, uh, excuse me, a governmental body like the federal government is entitled to sue to stop this this law. So I'm wondering again why the DOJ thinks they would have a better chance now than the abortion providers had in September.
0: I mean, you're right that they may be wrong that they have a better chance. They may be running into the same conservative 6-3 supermajority that they ran into previously that said, we're not going to touch this because- I think it was 5-4 because I think Roberts joined the three liberals. Right. But the the supermajority is the problem. And they're probably going to run into that same problem um, when uh, when they come back to the Supreme Court with the DOJ lawsuit. But that's there, I mean, all of these tracks are progressing, of course. there are. You know,
1: and the other track is the Mississippi law yes. is going to have an oral argument in December. And that right. will be on the substantive question of whether a state has a right to impose restrictions on abortion that pretty plainly violate Roe versus right. Wade.
0: And so it's important to have these DOJ lawsuits and the governor's lawsuit. And also the other uh, substantive Roe v. Wade constitutional law questions, because the, the question of whether states can circumvent the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court of the United States is almost as important as the question of whether Roe v. Wade can be overturned. That is a, a necessary but not sufficient condition to making sure nothing gets messed up. Like, you've got to have Roe v. Wade preserved, but you also have to be able to review laws that clearly violate Roe v. Wade in tricky ways. And so the DOJ is coming up here saying, OK, yeah, 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 we're going to get to the substantive constitutionality of that case. We're going to get to it in the Mississippi case, we're going to get to it when somebody objects to the prisoner, uh, you know, in, in Alabama or whatever, uh, who files a lawsuit from jail to try to collect this $25,000 bounty or $10,000 bounty or whatever it is, it, we're going to get to that. But you know, separate, multiple tracks all happening at once. The Texas legislature can't sub- circumvent SCOTUS's authority just by saying we're being very tricky about it. I mean, they couldn't be more obvious in saying, look, This is why this law is structured this way. We're doing this specifically so that SCOTUS can't review it. And the idea that SCOTUS would sit back on its hands and say, well, I guess you got us. I guess you You beat (laughs) us with the loophole. No, you need the DOJ to step up and say, look, you you can't be doing this. Well, let's bring a suit. Let's get in front of SCOTUS and let's force the conservatives to admit that by allowing Texas To ban abortion within its borders, you will open the floodgates and allow all these other southern states to ban abortion in their borders. And effectively, Roe v. Wade is overturned. And as well, you are, SCOTUS, hamstringing yourselves. You're saying you don't have the power. And unfortunately, that is a very effective technique that SCOTUS has throughout history been good at doing when it is politically advantageous to do so, i.e., when states are doing what SCOTUS secretly, politically wants them to do already. SCOTUS hamstrings itself and says, oh, I don't have the authority to do that. I guess the states have got to do it. In the as a practical really matters, though,
1: if the U.S. Supreme Court would agree to expedite the process, it would seem as if uh, it would be just as good to resolve the legality of the Texas statute in the context of a suit by a maniac, you know, yeah. in prison in Arkansas against an abortion doctor. The abortion
0: doctor, yeah, you could do both in one. You could. defends. But who's in charge of expediting things in the Supreme Court? It's these six, three conservative supermajority who really doesn't care about allowing people in well, Texas we'll, to get we'll abortions. See.
1: We'll, we'll see what they do on on both the November yeah, and the December will. hearings, but also we'll see how they handle the uh, the Arkansas convicts. Not at, the fastest decision.
0: institution, often.
1: No, that's true. All right, topic two is Steve Bannon headed for jail. You remember Steve Bannon, the guy back that wears to jail. multiple shirts. To jail. Why does he? Why does he wear multiple shirts? Our man, layers. Why he doesn't he chilly? shave? I get it. Why doesn't he get a haircut? He knows Trump hates all that. Yeah, uh, you, you've probably read the same books I have. Trump looks at the guy and says, "Looks like a slob." He does. Yeah. W- why? Yeah. Is he trying I, to piss off Trump. I get. Even I guess though he was trying to. Stay on the team? Because he worked in the White House until August 2017. So he, he, you know, basically a half year into the new administration. Then he falls prey to the Jared Kushner, Ivanka power struggle. Real smart Bannon. Go up against the Have a feud against the daughter Mm -hmm. who the president dotes on. Right.
0: What an idiot. Doesn't make sense. Honestly, I think it's like a partially at least like a a Bill Gates uh, and Mark Zuckerberg terrible haircut situation. I mean, Bannon doesn't change anything about his physical appearance because... He doesn't want to be compared or fought on that axis. He's not here to be a pretty boy. He's not trying to compare to Pierce Brosnan, the most attractive man of all time, (laughs) or whatever. He's just out here saying, look, I'm a super evil genius who lives in a hollowed-out volcano. I'm much more like Dr. Evil than I am like uh, James Bond. So, uh, I guess Dr. No, uh, it would be... So, he's like mini-me and Trump is like Mike Myers. I think mini-me is the... Trump is mini-me, and Steve Bannon is Dr. Evil. <laughs> Trump is not going to like to hear He's that. He's not. He's not. Well, All maybe right. it means he lost a little weight, slimming down.
1: So why are we talking about Bannon going to jail? Here's the deal. Yeah. The House of Representatives has issued a subpoena to Steve Bannon about his involvement in the January 6th riot. Uh, Because allegedly he was having some contact with either Trump or Trump's people's people. Uh, And, for example, uh, Steve Bannon tweeted the night before the January 6th riot, quote, all hell is going to break loose tomorrow. Strap in. That suggests, you know, he had some kind of information somehow. Um, So he gets the subpoena. And what does he do? He blows it off. I'm not going. I'm not showing, he says. Federal law says if Congress finds you in contempt, it is the duty. Of the US
0: attorney to take it to the grand jury and indict you. A grand jury is a preliminary procedure in a criminal proceeding where you say, Hey guys, here's a bunch of evidence that we have. We can do this in secret. We don't have to put out in public and embarrass everybody. We think it's enough to take this case to trial and try to convict somebody. And the grand jury says, whoa, you can't prove any of that? And they go, no, 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 we don't have to prove anything. We just have a lot of suspicions. We're going to run it by you guys, the grand jury. And if you think you're, we're good to go, you secret panel of jurors, then we'll proceed with an actual criminal case. This happens in lots of cr- uh, criminal cases.
1: Yeah, and the standards are, are interesting, and people are pretty familiar with it. But in general, the the criminal law standard for guilt is guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a really high standard. It's It's difficult to uh, satisfy. But there you, you can do a lot of things without proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. For example, there's a standard called probable cause. Right. Probable cause means a reasonable person would suspect that a crime was committed, that uh, stuff is in a house that would uh, demonstrate evidence of a crime. So, for example, if you want a search warrant or an arrest warrant or an indictment from a grand jury, all you have to establish is probable cause, namely a reasonable person would suspect the crime. So that is what Congress wants to do against Steve Bannon. But here's the catch. Although the federal statute says it is the duty of the U.S. attorney to go to a grand jury with a congressional contempt allegation, there's something called the office of legal counsel. And that's the department of justice's legal advisor to the president. And this office of legal uh, counsel issues opinions about the law. For example, remember when Trump was uh, being looked at uh, over, uh, over alleged Russia collusion and so on, Robert Mueller refused to indict Trump. He said in part, based on the Office of Legal Counsel opinion, that you can't indict a sitting president. Right. So this is a mere opinion. It's just a memo, but it's really taken seriously. Now, one memo by this Office of Legal Counsel says you don't prosecute a guy for contempt of Congress if his refusal to testify is based on executive privilege, executive privilege being the right of the president, To keep secret the advice he gets from his staff. It's a separation of powers thing. The Department of Justice is saying, hey, the executive branch is really entitled to do their own thing. And so the Congress shouldn't be able to to get in and mess that up. As, as, As an example, when Obama had his Attorney General Eric Holder involved in the Fast and Furious investigation, a bunch of American guns wound up in Mexico, Holder refused to talk. Because he said executive privilege is involved. I told secret stuff to President Obama. He was not cited for contempt based on the executive privilege idea. The origin of executive privilege, which is not mentioned in any statute or the Constitution, goes back to the 50s when Eisenhower was president. There was a feud with Joe McCarthy, the Republican senator from Wisconsin, known for his anti-communist witch hunt uh, McCarthyism. And Eisenhower did not want to make his staff available to the McCarthy investigators. And so Eisenhower sort of invented the concept of executive privilege. The courts have agreed that it's valid, but you got to weigh the interests. For example, Nixon lost his claim for keeping the Watergate tapes secret based on executive privilege because his claim didn't support national security. It was just his embarrassment. And it's very important to get to the bottom of criminal allegations like Watergate. So it's, it's sort of a balancing test. Bottom line is... There's no guarantee at all that Steve Bannon is going to be uh, cited for contempt or uh, hauled up uh, in in, uh, in criminal court. Uh, although I'm, I think Connor, a lot of people like the idea of of seeing yeah, Steve they Bannon sure behind bars. A lot of
0: people liked the idea of seeing Eric Holder potentially behind bars. That uh, that claim, uh, Obama's claim of. Uh, executive privilege was rejected by a federal judge and Eric Holder was held in contempt but he was not prosecuted following that uh, that contempt prosecution so we'll see if they treat Holder the same way as Bannon although you know these are are pretty different the federal judge back in Eric Holder's day specifically said look guys you've already made everything here public so executive privilege doesn't apply you since the 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 department has sort of shown its hand, what are you trying to protect? You're trying to protect uh, Eric from having to testify, right? That's different, and, and therefore she said there's nothing here to exert a a, a executive privilege over. A weird, bizarre, technical outcome where uh, you know a lot of people would say that you know it, 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 it was this bizarre inside baseball nonsense that doesn't actually matter. What matters is can the president hide this stuff in the future? The fact that he showed his hand here shouldn't affect whether the court can make a decision as to whether he can hide, he or any future president can hide stuff in the future. But that's how courts work. Courts are ridiculous. They only can deal with the issues that are actually in front of them because of a very old-timey uh, phrase, cause or controversy, that says in the Constitution the jurisdiction of federal courts is determined by their ability to adjudicate a controversy. So if there's no controversy, if it's like mooted, if there's nothing matters, it, it, it the outcome isn't going to change anything, then the, Supreme, then the federal courts lose their jurisdiction. They have to step out. They disappear. They poof. Uh, and so uh, they don't have the right. And so judges love to say, oh, well, I don't want to deal with that. That seems complicated. Oh, it's mooted. I, it's not going actually going to affect the facts of this case in front of me. I'm out. And they run from the problem. And that's what this judge, federal judge back in Holder's Day did. So it's, it's a really complicated issue that was not decided back when Holder uh, and, and Obama on his behalf exerted uh, or tried to exert executive privilege. And that was in uh, 2016, uh, the last year of Obama's presidency which makes it even more complicated. The next layer uh, is, hold up, Trump, you ain't president anymore. You're doing all this executive privilege exerting as though you were president protecting current national security secrets and instead you're trying to do this for your buddy, sort of, Steve Bannon who, you're not buddy, but he'll go down with you, if, or you, you'll go down with him if you go down, if he goes down. So you're trying to protect things sort of from beyond the grave of your presidency. So all the more important that we don't have a president uh, uh, Trump in 2024, dear God, because it would all be revived. But really, I mean, the the idea that they're going to let Trump exert executive privilege from beyond the grave, to me, seems pretty wild.
1: Not to be picky, Connor, but uh, 2016 was Obama's last full year as president. We actually had to put up with him for 20 days into
0: 2017. Oh, man, it must have been brutal. It was almost three weeks. How many, how many? I wonder how many weddings he was able to, to drone strike in those last 20 days. I had to put up with that, too. By the way, Not uh, my favorite guy in the world, I'll tell you.
1: By the way, if Bannon does uh, go to jail uh, for contempt of Congress, he's looking at one year in jail. Uh, and if Congress sues and gets a court to issue criminal contempt citations, uh, that could be even longer in jail. So uh, Steve Bannon's
0: future is up. Hopefully he gets apprehended on a boat again, because that was (laughs) rad last time.
1: (laughs) When uh, maybe he hangs out with Manchin on his houseboat. Oh, yeah. Uh, When we come back, uh, do bystanders uh, face criminal liability if uh, they don't help a victim of crime? Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So our final topic, uh, does a bystander who witnesses a crime face criminal liability For not helping out. And of course, the reason we're talking about it is because of an alleged rape on a train near Philadelphia. Allegedly, nobody helped. Nobody called 911. Instead, some people stood around with their uh, cell phones, shocker, and filmed the situation. Before the rape, it is alleged that the accused rapist spent 45 minutes harassing a woman, touching the woman. Nobody did anything, basically. And then he decided it was time to rape her. And he did that over the course of six minutes. So morally they should have helped even if it meant uh, at some personal risk uh, calling 911 wouldn't be much of a risk legally uh, that's a that's a tougher question there are few laws uh, that really force people to get involved there's no law against filming in a public place there are good samaritan laws in some states not in Pennsylvania which do require people to report when violent crimes are witnessed but very few laws require you to do anything that might put yourself at risk. Uh, I guess uh, gun fans might say, gee, you know, might've been nice if somebody was packing uh, on the train Whipping out a pistol and pointing at it at this creep uh, might have prevented it. Uh, There was a case years ago called the Big Dan's case in New Bedford, Massachusetts, 1983. A woman was raped on a pool table in the back of a bar. The movie The Accused was inspired by this uh, this uh, situation. Two men. In the real-life case, two men egged on the rapists. They were accused of joint enterprise liability because they were somehow part of the process by by virtue of them encouraging the rapists. Uh, Here, it's been speculated that people might consider trying to go against the, uh, the passengers on the train. The people that were filming the rape, does that put them in the joint enterprise category? What do you think? Do you think it's a good idea for to, for society to get into the business of starting to decide whether there should be punishment for folks who
0: observe a crime but essentially do nothing about it? Yeah, I would say no, that we have lots of categories of special uh, responsibility where we decide parents have extra special responsibilities to protect their children. Children have extra special responsibilities to protect their elderly parents. People who get involved in a situation have extra special responsibilities to continue helping a situation that they've started, gotten roped into somehow because other bystanders might think, oh, that person's handling it, that person's calling the police, that person's stopping this, I don't have to risk my life, and so they won't help, And when otherwise they might have simply because of a psychological effect. The danger of prosecuting bystanders who uh, have done nothing wrong but are witnessing something that is... Arguably dangerous, and they have to in- involve themselves in, as many other countries in the world, like in Europe and uh, other places, do. I think is is a is a dangerous slope to start sliding down. Um, although not inherently evil or a bad idea, uh, just I think in practice uh, can be problematic, especially since it 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 would represent further overcriminalization in a society that is already massively overcriminalized. The larger story in my mind is the prosecutor in Philadelphia or in Pennsylvania, rather, who came out and had a press conference and said, whoa, 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 this is Kitty Genovese all over again. In effect, he didn't use those words, but he said, that's not what happened. The cops put out a press conference and you and the media took what the cops said and then regurgitated it onto the page yet again, proving that. It's very seductive for journalists to just absorb exactly what cops say and then parrot it completely, which allows the cops to paint as an objective, journalistically verified fact uh, their version of what happened. It wasn't what happened. The prosecutor said that people the idea that there were a bunch of bystanders standing around and filming uh, the the attack on video for their own sexual perverse, sexual gratification is simply not true. It's a, a, a an inaccuracy, you know spread by the police department, who l- loves—he didn't say this, but I'm saying this now—cops love Kitty Genovese-style bystanders uh, don't help stories, because it means that it's not the cops' fault that crime goes unpunished. It's not its not society's fault that c- crime goes unpunished. It's not cops that enforce and maintain the, the status quo of society. It's random individuals. It's you. You didn't call the cops. You're a bad person. It, it's not our fault that we didn't stop crime. Now, can you stop crime, all crime, everywhere, all the time? No, of course not. But cops don't even want the responsibility. They don't want to be the ones who are on the hook for stopping crime. So the prosecutor, the guy whose whose job is prosecuting criminals, the guy whose whose job is to be friends with the cops, the guy who is part of the criminal legal system that over-prosecutes and over-incarcerates and punishes, over-punishes everybody, he comes out and says, whoa, guys, that's not what happened. Just like Kitty Genovese, who for forty years she was an example in every American psychological textbook that said the bystander effect or the Genovese effect says, "Oh, somebody else will deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. I'm frightened for myself." Uh, since Kitty Genovese is being murdered in public, stabbed, and there are thirty-eight reported witnesses, none of whom called the police, none of whom intervened, and she dies bleeding and alone in an alleyway. It didn't happen like that. It's not true. The two in 2016, New York Times said our uh, article that we published back in the '80s or whenever Kitty Genovese died that said there were 38 witnesses grossly exaggerated the number of witnesses and in fact many of them did call the police. There were many people who tried to intervene. It, they simply didn't know where she was. The cops didn't respond to their phone calls. So whose fault really is this? Obviously it's the murderer's fault. But it's our society should be looking around and saying, yeah, bystander effect is is, is a real thing. We do need to say, well, for example, if so, you stop to help somebody on the side of the road and then don't help them, then you can be held liable because other drivers that are driving by are saying, "Oh, that guy's got help. Look, somebody's helping him." Right? Somebody's somebody. If you're robbing him, <laughs> you should. You know, that's obviously uh, wrong. You, you're you're uh, preying on the bystander effect of well, other people let, who are passing let's talk by. About,
1: let's talk about the Good Samaritan law. So, assume hypothetically you're uh, clerk at the Seven Eleven. I am. And uh, there's a commotion in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, some guy's beating up some woman. Mm-hmm. And it goes on and on. And you get a lawn chair and get some of the fine 7-Eleven popcorn. Right. And um, you watch and yeah. you don't report it. Right. The uh, Pennsylvania Good Samaritan law, I think, would say the 7-Eleven clerk is uh, guilty of a crime. That uh, if you see a violent crime, uh, you don't necessarily have to wade in and turn into a, you know Jack Reacher. But you have to report it. Um, this prosecutor, you, don't, you, don't, in his, think, you in his, don't think that's a good idea to have no, a law I, like this that? prosecutor
0: in his press conference, by the way, stressed, you will not be prosecuted. There is no Pennsylvania law that will prosecute you. If you come forward with evidence of this crime, give us Uh, Give us video, give us your witness account, something like that. And that is part of the reason why I think it's a bad idea. You shouldn't have that law because then after the fact, people say, oh, if I come forward and claim, yeah, I was on the train uh, on the train for a while, for five minutes, I got on. I saw a commotion on the other side, but it just looked like two people rolling around. I wasn't sure what was happening. I got off. Is the prosecutor going to prosecute me for being a bystander because I was on the train for 30 seconds? And there's a there's a cultural There's a
1: cultural influence. Uh, I have read that in China. If you're walking down the street and you see somebody in distress, absolutely not. You will not get involved because the authorities assume that if you report, tried to help somebody and call the police, the other person who was choking, gagging and sort of drowning in two inches of gutter water. And so I helped. You will be arrested yeah. Yeah. as the person responsible for that. I'll I don't say, think that's a cultural thing in America. I'll say on It's the one a possibility. Hand, yeah,
0: I'll say on the one hand. I don't ever believe any rumor about what happens in China that we hear uh, over here in the West because all we get is is anti-China propaganda. Now, OK, that's not saying that, like, they aren't torturing Uyghurs in concentration camps. They absolutely are. Everything seem, appears to be that they are. But, like, the idea that, like, oh, their culture is bad and they probably do this evil thing or whatever, that I, I, I approach with trepidation. But the idea of... Over policing bystanders who don't do enough to stop crimes uh, or whatever, that does come with consequence. That does come with witnesses after the fact being afraid to come forward and help that that does come with people theoretically being afraid to intervene in the moment. So it, it protecting the good Samaritans uh, uh, who do come forward and you know a good Samaritan law theoretically. If you come forward and try to help somebody and aren't able to help them, you've involved yourself in the situation. And, you're a little negligent. Maybe you may right, not be sued. Exactly. The The Good Samaritan law says, oh, you were trying to do your best. It's OK. Mm-hmm. It's fine. We're not going to sue you for fixing a little old lady's tire on the side of the road after she gets a flat. And then she drives, drives away, her, her wheel falls off. And you're like, I, look, I did my best. I'm just not a mechanic, right? The Good Samaritan law protects you in that scenario. That's a good way to balance the incentive problem. The idea of criminalizing people who are hundreds of people who are getting on and off this train at, throughout the course of this 20-minute or 30-minute or 40-minute ordeal uh, I- involving the six minutes of actual uh, encounter uh, between the two, physical assault between the two, it's really hard to determine who in that situation is somehow criminally liable, who should have done what. We can trust human nature and trust the culture to create a scenario where people will intervene if it's uh, clear what that things are going wrong, and to depend on that and not to lean on the criminal legal system is a scary thing. It's a really scary thing. It's the same as when somebody says, "I want a cop on every street corner," and you go, "You're being dumb. There's no way we can afford that. There's no way that creates a happy, healthy society. That creates a police state. You got to trust humanity to some degree." And yeah, that means crimes are going to exist, and that's horrible. But we gotta. You can't. You can't create a North Korea po- police state just because crimes occur. And so you, you, you have to like evaluate what are the, the structures you're creating and what perverse incentives will they lead to? It's like people are like, well, don't ref- don't get rid of police because more crimes will happen. Just have good cops. It's like, yeah, the problem is we give we create more and more and more cops with more and more and more money and things get worse and worse and worse. So obviously just have lots of good cops is not an easy thing to do. Maybe so, you have so to you? get rid of a lot of cops and a lot of their money instead and it will maybe these problems will get better because people will think, Oh, the cops aren't about to get here. I should intervene.
1: So you raised an interesting point about whether we really are do. sure about China and the cultural influence. Right. And so on. I, th- I think it would be helpful if we matter of fact, let, let's just make a commitment. But the next episode, we will do some extensive research. We'll go to and, China. And de- determine if, in fact, uh, that's true, that, that they don't help people in China because. Of Look, I'm not about to market. do
0: actual no, research I, on here. Anything.
1: Here's the problem. I've got a busy week coming up. If oh, you okay. wouldn't mind, if I will. you wouldn't mind, okay, I will. Oh, good.
0: Okay. Well, I I feel like if the show's budget can handle me going to China to do some investigation, why not? I'm fully in. Just don't wind up as uh, one of those uh, Uyghurs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that, that would be. Bad. It would be hard to convert in a week, but I'd try. It's time
1: for Guess the Verdict, America's favorite game show. Are you ready, Connor, for, yes, for this question? Of course. This is a real life case.
0: This is, the whole show is centered around this. So, of course, I am ready. This is
1: this is the headliner. Now, you're going to guess the verdict, guess the outcome of this legal battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here it is. A worker in the Environmental Protection Agency had a little trouble staying awake on the job. Who doesn't? Finally, the federal government decided
0: mid-podcast. It's only half an hour long.
1: <laughs> Federal government decided they could live without his services, so they fired him. Yeah. He filed a lawsuit for wrongful termination of employment. Did he have
0: narcolepsy?
1: So Was uh, he claiming
0: to have narcolepsy? All,
1: all you know is what I've just told you. He <gasps> had a lot of trouble staying awake on the job. Okay. And so he's fired. And he I assumes. would
0: say the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, has a responsibility to make my job interesting enough. That I can actually stay awake. <laughs> no, okay. I, I think staying awake is a job requirement. I think the guy's gone and he gets the boot. I'm sorry. You, you don't, if you, if you can't stay awake, you can't do the job. The employee wins. What? Yeah, the no! employee wins. The court said My the, gover-
1: record. the government may presumably require its employees to stay awake as a matter of decorum. But an occasional nap does not necessarily make a federal employee unfit. Finally, the court found discrimination on the basis of a handicap, namely severe bouts of depression that led to his naps. So uh,
0: the courts. Uh, well, it, it, that settles it. Next time I'm on the clock it's sunday now but as soon as i'm on the clock it's nap time ladies i'm staying up all night tonight yeah. and i'm sleeping all day tomorrow and let's just see what they do what yeah. happens when see they try what? to fire me
1: see your instinct about the narcolepsy was was right <sighs> you know it's kind of like the old saying taking a test go with your first instinct yeah don't change from b yeah. to d or You're whatever right. all right next week our uh, i guess the verdict uh, has to do with a, a pair of killer jeans killer genes. It's going to be a tough one for you, Connor. I love it. Everybody have a great week. And also next week we are gonna talk about Alec Baldwin. Of is course. he in some kind of legal trouble? And once we know civil, what's criminal, actually going
0: on with this horrible situation.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure that the uh, fog will have been lifted at least somewhat by next week. Have a great one. See you soon.